Oh, good morning. So there was a man from back east. He decided that he was going to write a book on churches. So he traveled out to the west coast, and he was going to work his way back towards the east, and he went to this big church in San Francisco, and, and he's taken notes, and he's, he's taken pictures, and he notices uh, in one part of the foyer a gold phone on the wall, and on, uh, above the, the phone, it says calls $10,000 a minute, and he was really intrigued by this, so he went and he asked the pastor, he said, um, I'm really curious about this phone, uh, what, what is it? And the pastor told him, well... That phone is a direct line to God. And so he thought, well, okay. Um, proceeded to Seattle and Chicago and, uh, uh, you know, some other places there in the Midwest, larger churches. Um, he did Los Angeles and Dallas and Seattle and, and Chicago, kind of zigzagging a, a, along the country. And he finds more phones in more churches. Again, gold phone, sign that says calls $10,000 a minute. Well, he decides to stop, you know, he wanted to hit every state. He decides to stop in, in, a, in a church in Wyoming. So he stops in a church in Wyoming, and he, he goes into the church, and he sees the same gold phone, but, but instead of it costing $10,000 a minute, in front of this phone, it says, calls 35 cents. And he thought, wow, I wonder, I wonder what the deal is there. So he went and he asked the, the pastor. He said, why are, are these calls $10,000 in all of these other uh, cities, but they're only 35 cents here? And the pastor, of course, smiling broadly, says, son, you're in Wyoming. This is God's country. It's a local call. Well, so we just finished a series talking about technology, and I had somebody actually message me one day, and he said, David, is this the phone that you use to talk to God? Oh. I said, no, this isn't the phone I... Because could you imagine? Hello? Right? That would be sort of a pain in the neck, right? Um, but, but what we did just finish is a series in covering how our phones can become a distraction in our relationship with God, in life in general, really, but especially in our relationship with God. And of course, all of us know that you don't, you don't need a special line, you don't need a, a special phone or way to, to connect with God anymore. That connection that we have with God is prayer, and, and it has been available to all of us ever since the crucifixion of Christ. When the veil in the temple was split in two, and, and God's presence became available to all of us. You know, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three different chapters in the book of Psalms. You know, the book of Psalms is, is an incredible book. And my hope is that as we study these three Psalms, that what we can catch a glimpse of is maybe some new language that we can use in the time that we spend with God. Uh, a new vocabulary, maybe. We need some help with some words or some pictures, and the Psalms are a great place for us to find that. You know, the Psalms, or the Psalter, as it is often referred to, is comprised of actually five, five books. The, the, the chapters are organized into five different books. It's often referred to by the Jews as the second Torah, extremely 
important part of the Bible. There's many quotations from the Psalms that we see in the New Testament. It was very important to the, the lives and the, spirit, the spiritual lives of, of the early church as we see those quotes in the New Testament. Um, it was very much a hymn book of sorts. It's, it's, very, it's some of the best Hebrew poetry that, that is available to read today. Uh, it, 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 is, it was a hymn book of sorts. You know, as we read through the Psalms, there, we'll find that there are many musical notations, although the meaning of, of many of those musical notations has been lost over time. We don't know exactly what they mean. Um, Saul spoke of how David, as a gifted musician and a, a gifted poet, how his music soothed his soul. And I can imagine that many of the lyrics, the poems that David wrote and maybe even sang for Saul, we have right here before us in the book of Psalms. This divine power that is avail- was available to them is available to us as well. What an amazing collection of God's inspired word the book of Psalms is. Now, the first two psalms have no heading, and they serve as an introduction, and we're actually going to be looking at uh, the first psalm, Psalm chapter 1, if you want to turn there right now. Um, after this introduction, there, there are primary, primarily laments and complaints, psalms that, that uh, served in communicating to God uh, the heartfelt complaints and laments of the writer. Um, We also find psalms of thanksgiving, praise. Uh, There are salvation history psalms. There are royal psalms. There are wisdom songs. There are also cries for vengeance against an enemy. You know, when when you have this anger in your heart, a good place to go would be one of these psalms where where David or another writer pours out these feelings and these emotions. There are Uh, Psalms that offer questions of doubt, impatience. Now, I mentioned that the the book of Psalms is divided up into five books. If you look in your English translation, I don't know if an online Bible will do this or not, but if you look right there above uh, chapter 1, it probably says book 1, and then maybe has the number of chapters that are in book 1. Book 1 is 1 through 41, book 2 is 42 through 72, Book 3 is uh, 73 to 89, book 4 is 90 to 106, and book 5 is 107 to uh, Psalm 150. So let's, let's take a look at this, this first psalm of the book. Uh, turn there if you haven't already, and, le- and just follow along as I read it. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, just one uh, simple observation for all of us. Uh, If you look in your English translation there, you see the word Lord twice in all caps, small, small caps. Can somebody tell me what that means? What are they, what word are they translating there? It's Yahweh. It's, It's the name that God gave himself when Moses said, 
they're not going to believe me. You know, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. And when, you, when we see that I am in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. I just, I just think it's important for us to know that. That, that when we see Lord in all caps in, in our English translations, that it represents the name that God gave himself. Yahweh. Now, uh, there are two ways that this psalmist describes, two roads, if you will, uh, that he says that are, trans, uh, that are contrasted here right in the beginning uh, in verses 1 through 3. First of all, the psalmist shows us the way of life. The way of life. Blessed in verse 1 can also be translated happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the woman. Happy are those The way of life can be found, the psalmist says, if we don't first, in a negative sense, if we don't do three things. The first thing that the psalmist says, the way of life is not walking in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, don't think like the wicked. Don't seek the wisdom of people that are not living godly lives. Don't look to them for how we should live our life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31 says this, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. So, answer this question for yourself. Whose counsel have you been relying on regularly? Is it Is it the counsel of someone who doesn't share the same values that you do as a follower of Jesus? Or is it someone who does? Whose counsel are you relying on regularly? The way of life is not walking in the counsel of the wicked. Number two, he says the way of life is not standing in the way of sinners. Now, it's not a matter of standing in the way as in, you know, I'm blocking you, that sort of thing. It's it's a sense of, doing the same thing that they are doing or behaving like them. So don't think like the wicked and don't behave like sinners. This can especially happen when we spend the majority of our time that, with people who are not making good decisions. Kids, that's why your parents are very careful with who you spend time with, who you spend lots of amounts of time with. Because, uh, you know... If, if you have one good apple in a, a barrel of bad apples, what's going to happen? Exactly. That one apple is going to rot. It's much harder for one person to pull the majority of other people up to them. Bad company, what? Corrupts good character. It's true. It's true. And we see it. We see it every day. We see it in our own lives. We are influenced. If we are influenced and influenced and influenced, and we allow that to be an influence in our life, before long, we stop being influenced and we become the same. And we have chosen to stand in the way of sinners. We're making decisions that they're making. We're telling off-color jokes. We're gossiping like crazy just to keep up, just like they are. And that is not where the way of life is is found. Giving in to those influences does not give us happiness in our lives. It just doesn't. 
And the last, the third negative that the psalmist mentions here in verse 1 tells us that the way of life is not sitting in the seat of mockers. Now, it, it seems to me kind of to be a progression, going from bad to worse. You know, first you, you are allowing, we allow ourselves to be influenced by someone, and then before long we're, we're, we're doing as they do, and, and then uh, we begin, we sit in the seat of mockers and we become a part of the very uh, decisions and actions that we at one time probably in our minds said, I will never do that. Again, this is not where happiness is found. We, we hear the lies of Satan, we're attracted to the promises of evil, but in the end, we simply experience destruction. We've all experienced that in our lives, haven't we? Because sin will always take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. If, you've, if you're hearing that for the first time today, maybe write it down. Sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you intended to pay. And, and doesn't it seem like the more we tried to hide it, the more we try to hide it, and the more we try to cover it up, the deeper and the worse it gets. The destruction it causes in people's lives is, I mean, it's obvious, right? It's, and it's, it's really easy for us to see that in other people's lives. Wow, if they wouldn't have done that or if they wouldn't have hung out with them, they wouldn't have been thinking this way. They, they would not have been drawn into this. They would not. But if we're honest with ourselves and we do an honest review of the history of our life, maybe you're even there today. This is a, an important moment in time for you because God is speaking to you today saying, hey, evaluate where you are. Who are you spending the majority of your time with? What, how, how are you thinking? Where are you getting your wisdom and your, your knowledge from? All right, enough time spent on what the way of life isn't. Look at verse 2. But, so it's not these three things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the way of life is delighting in the law of the Lord. Obedience and doing what's right, I mean, it really gets a bad rap today, doesn't it? I mean, it got a bad rap when I was younger. I mean, y'all, you, nobody likes to be called a goody-goody or, you know, hey, oh, you just think you're so perfect, right? Nobody likes to hear that. So, so what do we do? <laughs> we make sure we're not. Or, or we try to become a part of the group or a part of the crowd you know, words that are used to describe people that try to live a righteous life today um, are uh, maybe uh, prudes. Uh, I think bigot is a word that's thrown around in our culture today that tries to describe somebody who is trying to stand up for something that's right and what they believe God says is the truth. Now, nobody likes to be called that. And our initial human reaction is, well, Okay, if that is true, then I need to do I need to live my life differently so that I'm not called that. And and that really works out to be a pretty watered down life. 
Now, I'm not saying, you know, slap people over the heads or in the face with your Bible and say, you know, read this or go to hell. I'm not, I'm, I, we need to be gentle when we are interacting with people who don't know Jesus. But we don't say things like, well, you know, it's okay. You know, I'm not going to come against this particular thing because, because I want to love you. You know, I, I, I've got to say, the, the Methodist denomination in the last couple of weeks made a huge decision, didn't they? It, it came up, and, and they, they decided, they've, they've been kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road with the, you know, are, is homosexuality okay? Can we, can we uh, ordain homosexual pastors? Can we do homosexual weddings? They've been kicking that down the road for the last few years, and finally this year, they made a decision and they hashed it out. And the vote was close, but as a denomination, the Methodist church, at least those who will remain in the denomination that don't leave it because of this decision, said, we will not only stand on the truth that the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, that homosexual marriage is wrong, we're not only going to stand on that truth, but anyone within our denomination, pastors who don't follow this, will be defrocked, will be essentially excommunicated from the church. That was a big, hard, tough decision to make. It's a tough stand to make in our political culture today. But they did. And, and I don't know what the fallout of that is going to be. But I, and, and I don't, you know, we can't, I don't want to think too much this morning, but you know, I guess what I see happening is a split in a denomination and a new, whether they call themselves Methodists or not, um, who say then, oh, we're all about love. You know, the Bible, Paul tackles this many times. There, we, there are sheep, there are wolves in sheep's clothing within the church. And, and, and we have to hold to the Bible as our uh, as the bar for what is truth. Not how we feel about a certain thing. Not, not that I, you know, because it's... It, when we're talking with someone about, about what the Bible says, we need to be as inoffensive as we can be. But Jesus himself says that people will be offended by him. And in many ways, that's what's going to happen. I don't want somebody to be offended uh, because of how I say something. If they want to be offended by what it is that I say and, and, and I'm, I'm sure that God's word is, is speaking the truth in this, it will always speak the truth, but what I'm saying is, is what the Bible says. I, I, can't, I can't feel bad because they're offended by that. And my prayer is that they would, they would not be, but they would see the truth. And they would see how much Jesus loves them. And we're going to see here in just a second um, how that, that love is, is worked out in our life. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, delighting in the law ultimately brings happiness into our lives. And, and when, I, when I think of the law, I think of rules. And maybe you do too. You know, rules like, 
speed limits and those sorts of things, right? And, and sometimes we think, well, those rules are just silly. Why would that be a rule? Well, you know what? Most of the rules that we experience in the course of a day are, are made by silly people sometimes, and sometimes they are silly. But, but instead of thinking of, of God's law as a rule, I think it's better to think of God's law as a boundary. There's a difference. You see, a boundary... Uh, or a fence, if you will, uh, around our yards. Why do we have fences? It's, it's not just to say, this is my property. It's to keep our animals in and our children in so that they don't wander out into the street and get run over. It is a little bit constricting, a little bit limiting, although I read an illustration one time where they had this big playground next to a busy street, and, and before it was fenced in, they observed all of the children playing on this playground, and the children wasted... 25 yards of of the play area because they didn't want to get too close to the street. But when the fence was put in, the kids knew they could go right up to that fence and be safe. God's boundaries are not given to us to ruin our fun, but to free us. I mean, speed limits really are intended to keep us from endangering ourselves and others. We have commands that help us maintain our sexual purity till we're married and that, that help us be faithful as husbands and wives. The Word of God speaks to those things. The message that the world gives us today is that you get to decide what's right and wrong. No, that's wrong. Because I will always, I will always do what I think I want selfishly. Always. Psalm 1 points out that submitting ourselves to the law of the Lord, that delighting in everything he has commanded us, that's when we will be blessed. That's when our life will be happy. But let's not stop at just having a positive attitude about the law of the Lord. Verse 2 calls us to meditate day and night. The entire, the entire Bible is the law of the Lord. Let's read it. Let's, let's allow it to soak into our life. The entire canon of Scripture is to be over my life. And in order for that to happen, we need to read it. We need to think about it. I want to know it, and I want to repeat it often. And, and there are times when people ask me questions, and, and a verse will just, it'll just come right out, and it speaks exactly to what that person was asking or what they needed to hear. God uses that. It's a commitment, I know. So um, take out your Connect card, if you would. There's a couple things on there. Um, I, I want to encourage you, or your note sheet, that's another part. I want to encourage you to meditate on the Psalms this week. So there's, there's kind of two assignments. Uh, one is the memory verse, memory chapter. The other is, is to, uh, to do the for further study, and that's reading through some of the Psalms. I guess there's three. The third one is to commit to sometime this week, sitting down twice and reading through the entire Psalter. In two sittings, you sit down once, you read the first 75 chapters, you sit down again, you read the next 75 chapters. And some of you are thinking, no way I could do that. Um, 
Can you sit down and watch Netflix for four hours? Can you sit down and read a novel for an hour and a half? Um, I actually did that when I was gone. I read two novels, which I haven't done in a decade. Uh, but I rather enjoyed reading just for fun. Um, and, and I found myself... Now, I, I, it was a, it was a, I got it on Kindle because I didn't want to go to a store and buy it. Um, so I used a device... <laughs> But I was reading, and it just drew me in, and, and I believe the Psalms will do that, that, that same thing. So, so on your Connect card, there's a way for you to commit to reading the Psalms in two sittings. The other thing that is on your Connect card there is to, right, it's on there? Is that option on there? Okay, thank you. The other thing that's on there is to commit to memorizing Psalm 1. It's only six verses. We're looking at it today. Okay, and and here's here's what I decided to do. The first person this week that comes to me face to face and honestly says, you know, be honest, Pastor Dave, I read the entire book of Psalms in two sittings and can, from memory, quote Psalm chapter one, um, I will I will give you an Amazon gift card. The first person. Okay? Just a little bit of an incentive there. Another next step is to read through um, those psalms on a daily basis. And, and I think you will, uh, look, I've, I've done this before, and during the weeks in which I was allowing the psalms to soak into my life, I found it hard not to be positive. It was really hard for me to have a negative attitude about anything. Because why? The law of the Lord... Uh, it was, de- it was creating delight in me. Even though there are commands and rules, there are so many different words and, and ways to interact with our Creator. And I, find my, and I found myself doing that. Soak in God's Word this week. Next, the psalmist gives us an illustration of, of this way of life. Okay, look at verse 3. He is like... Someone who lives this way and doesn't live this way. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. When we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his word day and night, we stay away from those negative thoughts. And we're drawn into the positive things. I mean, we become like a tree that is planted by streams of water. And if you think about that illustration... You know, or you've, you've driven through a desert and you see a tree that, that's not just green and, and continues to be healthy, but pro, that, that's pro, uh, producing fruit. What, what do you think about that tree? You've got to know that there's a, there's a source of water somewhere nearby. Even if, if it's a stream, it could be an underground stream, a source of water that even when the weather, even when the circumstances get difficult for that tree, it's hot, it's dry. That tree is not only able to stay alive, but it's able to produce fruit in the midst of that. And if you think about the hardest and the darkest times that you've ever been through in your life, and if you imagine yourself rooted in the Word of God, meditating on it day and night, even though hard things come, even though serious temptations are are coming at you, 
you're not only just to, able to just stand up against those things, but to produce fruit. Ah, what a great illustration. I mean, have you ever lacked energy in your life? Nutrition? <laughs> have you ever lacked the will to be obedient or you're just tired of doing what's right? You're tired of the pressure. You're, you're tired of what people say about you at work or at school. You just want to throw up your hands and just be a part of the crowd. If we will stay connected to the source of life, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, that energy and that nutrition will help us to stand against those things. And not only just, again, not only just to stand against them, but to produce fruit as we do. Let's humble ourselves before God. Allow Him to influence our our daily lives through His Word. And that takes some intentionality on our part. It's putting down our devices sometimes and picking up a Bible. It's like being plugged in. Any of you guys notice in the last, you know, three, four weeks it's been dark up here in the parking lot? You drive up Main Street and it's like dark. It's not depressing. I didn't like it at all. Um, you know, the cross was falling apart and we had to replace some light bulbs, so the guys just decided it's time. Let's take it down and repair it. Well, after we took it down, it's like, nope, not repairing this. Let's build a new one. So thanks to all of you that helped do that and get that back up. It is so good to see that we are now, again, a church with a cross. <laughs> we are under the cross of Christ again. Um, it's, uh, it's good. It's, it, it, but, you know, that, there was a lack of energy there. It, it wasn't turned on. And now it is. And when it is, it's lit up. Our lives are, are similar when we were plugged in to the source of our strength. Look at Proverbs uh, look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 up here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You know, we don't like to read that verse because sometimes we just really like to wander around. You know, I don't want to necessarily go straight. I, I want to wander around a bit. But, but look, It's best we don't get comfortable with crooked paths. Because <laughs> there is another path that we see described in this psalm. A, a path that I, quite frankly, don't want any of us to be on. It's the way of doom, number two in your notes. Not so, verse four, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. This is an honest reflection on what happens to people who are not saved. He's not talking here about just tripping up and making mistakes and sinning as a Christ follower because we, that's true of us. John says we're a liar if we, we think we don't sin. This, this is referring to those that die without Jesus Christ in their life. Like chaff, they are blown away. So we're not only to stay away from the wicked, but we're challenged to consider an alternate path. 
Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked, who he referred to in verse 4, will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They have not been rescued. Therefore, they'll be completely expelled from the presence of God and those who have been saved. Not, not a path I want to be on. Not a path that, that, honestly, you would want to be on either. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we then start walking the narrow road. See, one is narrow and one is wide. One is really easy to be on. And one is less so. It's narrower. I think it's, it's harder to see. And without the illumination of the Holy Spirit in our life, we don't see it. But when he illuminates that in our life and we surrender our life to Jesus Christ as our Savior, we begin to walk the narrow path. And what a walk the straight and narrow. I just came to me just in this moment. I've heard that before. You know, we need to walk the straight and narrow. It, it is straight because because we are leaning not on our own understandings, but we're trusting in the Lord, Yahweh, the great I Am. We acknowledge Him. We, we check with Him. We ask Him. We, we consider, is this thing I'm going to say or this thing I'm going to type or this, this decision I'm going to make, is it honoring to Him or is it not? God, what help me make this decision. The way of doom we're not going to live forever. Sometimes we know how long we might have left if we have an illness. But for the majority of us, we think we're going to live forever. We think we're going to we think we're going to be here to celebrate Easter with our family, but honestly, you don't know that. So are you ready today? Which path are you, which path are you on? And then we have the parting of the ways. Look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So fork in the road here. You see, it's one or the other, right? It's, there's no sitting on the fence. There's no middle ground. Either we are on the narrow road that leads to righteousness, and eternal life, or we are on the wide road that leads to destruction. The Lord, it says, is caring for the righteous, and those on the way of the wicked will perish. Though it may seem like the wicked are prospering now, right? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, well, he's not living his life right, and look at that. He's, he's got all the money, he's got all the toys, he's got all the whatever, In fact, there are many psalms that cry out about that, that can help us think through that. In the end, if they're on the wide road, God's word says that they will perish. In his book, What Good is God?, 
Philip Yancey gives an illustration of two roads of sorts and what it's like to choose one or the other because it is harder to walk the narrow road. We do have to hold to truth that makes us uncomfortable, that, that especially in our culture today, that people say, you know what, look, we're, we're enlightened, we're progressive. You, that's old-fashioned, you can't think that way. That's unloving. I don't know. Somebody asked me one time, they said, why, why would you feel like you need to tell somebody else how they should live their life? Because sometimes it, it, it does amount to that. It's like, look, this is what the Word of God says. This is, what God, this is how God wants us to live. Well, you, you can't tell me how to live my life. Why would you even want to do that? Well, if... Uh, I know a guy in Cheyenne whose house just burned down last week and, and he barely got out. Now, if, if I had been around there and I saw the house on fire and I knew that he was in it and I chose to just leave it up to him to figure out when he needed to get out of the house, is that right? That doesn't seem like a very loving thing to me. You know, maybe he was having a really good dream and he didn't want to be awakened from that dream. But I go in there and shake him awake and drag him out of the house. Or at least tell him that his house is on fire and that he needs to get out. To me, I think that's what it looks like sometimes when we are sharing someone the truth of God's word. That's why I, that's why I need to share this truth to you. Because you're in a burning building and you don't know it. And I need to do everything I can to help you see that. And of course, ultimately, it's their decision. It's up to them. But I think we need to tell people about Jesus every opportunity we get and how much he loves them and, and, and how valued they are to him because he died for them. He, he gave his life for them. Well, back to this illustration of these two ways. Uh, Yancey wrote about the 2004 Ukraine election in which the, the reformer Viktor Yushchenko challenged the entrenched party and nearly died for it. On election day, the exit polls showed Yushchenko with a comfortable lead, but through outright fraud, the government reversed the results. That evening, the state-run television reported, ladies and gentlemen, we announce that the challenger, Viktor Yushchenko, has been decisively defeated. However, government authorities had not taken into account one feature of Ukrainian television, the translation it provides for the hearing impaired. I looked this up, this is true. On the small screen insert in the lower right-hand corner of the television is the person doing the interpreting for the deaf. This television interpreter was a brave woman raised by deaf-mute parents, and she actually signed a different message than what she was given. She chose a different path, a much more narrow path, if you will, she said, I am addressing in her sign language all the deaf citizens of Ukraine don't believe what they say. 
They are lying, and I am ashamed to translate these lies. Yashinko is our president. Now, no one in the studio understood what she was signing. I mean, when I watch TV and somebody's signing, they could be, you know, reading a Dr. Seuss book. I wouldn't know. Neither did anybody else in the studio that day. But this message that she gave, inspired by this courageous translator, deaf people led what became known as the Orange Revolution. They, positive use of technology, text messaged all of their friends on their mobile phones about the fraudulent elections, and soon journalists began to take courage and likewise refused to broadcast the party line. Over the next few weeks, as many as a million people wearing orange flooded the capital city of Kiev to demand new elections, and under the pressure, the the government finally relented. They held new elections, and of course, Yushchenko won. He was the undisputed winner. Now, I think our society is hardly unique. Like the sign language translator in the lower right-hand corner, Jesus came to the earth and he said, don't believe it. Don't believe the lies. I'm actually, up to that point, they were doing what God had commanded. Jesus changed everything. He said, it's not about the law anymore. It's about putting your faith and trust in me, Jesus Christ, who is going to die and raise again. Watch me. And he did. Yet we continue to experience people in our world who want to oppose that and flip the, flip the story. Jesus says, look, it's the poor who are blessed, not the rich. As well as those who hunger and thirst and the persecuted. Mourners are blessed too, he said. Those who go through life thinking they're on top will actually end up being on the bottom. Those who go through life feeling they're at the very bottom because of their faith and their obedience will actually be on top. After all, as Paul said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose his soul? This morning's psalm introduces us to the two roads, and the following psalms help us to express emotions and feelings that we experience as we are on the path of righteousness. Just as David, the author of many of the psalms, was on himself. David was not perfect, we know that. He was a good king, he was a bad king sometimes. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He had the husband of his mistress killed in battle. Yet we know he was still on the narrow road because God calls him a man after his own heart. And David wrestles and he struggles and he repents. He cries out to God and Sometimes, sort of in a stark way, we're like, should you say that to God? Look, if you're thinking it, he already knows. Be honest with God. If you're angry with him, tell him. He has broad shoulders. 
He'll help you work through that. These psalms that we're going to read can help us learn the language and just some, maybe some different vocabulary in the times that we pray to our Savior. Whether we're mourning from sin or a loss, thirsting after God or rejoicing in Him, these psalms will help us with this. I know people that are burdened with problems, struggling with temptation, celebrating in the hope or enjoyment of a deliverance, whether in awe at God's divine perfection, thanking Him for His mercies, thinking about His truth or delighting in His service. The psalms can help us in our prayer time and in our communicating with Him. The psalms form a divinely appointed standard, if you will, of experience and language. And I think will help us grow in all of these areas, providing a soothing voice of power and strength. May we, in the language of a divine book, take time to soak in His Word and to communicate with Him. And I pray that as we come to His throne of grace, that we will continue to allow His Word to influence us. That we will not listen to the lies of the world. It is a battle, I know. Take me up on the challenge. Uh, Call me when you're ready. We'll have coffee. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you... uh, You don't just leave us to wander in the world. You clearly describe to us what it looks like to surrender our life to you and begin walking the narrow path. And Father, I pray that every one of us is on that path. And Father, if there is someone in this room who is, is just wavering, they're tired or they don't have energy, Father, I pray that this would, this message, this sermon series, reading the book of Psalms and allowing it to speak to their heart and mind would, would re-energize them, would re-give uh, them nutrition to their soul. Father, thank you for the good things in our life. Thank you for the community that we live in. Thank you for the state that we live in. And Father, help us to continue to challenge one another and to live life with one another and to spend time with you as we walk that road each day. We raise our families. May we raise them in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.